Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have Jason Heinrichs. We're going to be talking about SVB and the variety of ways that that's going to impact the fintech ecosystem. Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, you know, never tire of talking about Silicon Valley Bank and, you know, are we in contagion? Are we not in contagion? You know, something new every week. So it'll be fun to see where this conversation goes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we're still in a point right now, it should be said, where we don't maybe have all the information that we'll need. So we should put that caveat out there right now. This is obviously a situation that's continuing to unfold. If we say something today that makes us look stupid in two weeks, please forgive us. You, There's always this possibility when you've got something like this happening. But I think it's really important to just get a sense right now of what's happening and how it's going to affect the ecosystem. So let's start with kind of this really big question. Is this going to hurt fintech innovation or will the industry be able to kind of move past this relatively painlessly? Um, you couldn't start slow. You just needed it to go fast <laughs> jump, and straight Jump over right the in plate. there. Let's get the big one out of the oh, way. Oh, man. Well, it, there's two answers to it. Let's talk about SVB as the, you know, the bank and then let's talk about SVB and the role they played in the ecosystem. And do you want to dispel because, you know, both sides of the aisle picked up this narrative that it was because SVB worked with fintechs and startups and VCs and that was the risk. That was not the risk. Um, the risk was you had concentrated players. And I think that's ground well trod at this point. People look at it, it's like, oh, it's a tight knit community with a lot of uninsured deposits. Um where I think it's going to hurt the ecosystem in ways, I don't know that everyone fully appreciates just how much money flows through Silicon Valley Bank as a transitory piece of, you know, there are rails for a lot of things and a holding account. And that even if you don't bank at SVB as a fintech startup, part of that ecosystem, there might be money flowing through that you're unaware of. And while that got unlocked relatively quickly, I think you're going to see a lot of fintechs that say, hey, we need to, not just with SVB, but across the board, we need to think about how do we actually you know, make sure we have a level of resilience you know, in a way that we didn't have to before. And I think there's a bit of a black eye on the industry in, in terms of, you know, Larry Summers has come out and said, you know, this is the day of reckoning for, for fintech. I don't know that I would go that bad, but I think it's definitely the day of reformation on what we need to think about as an ecosystem. And you know, unfortunately, it comes at a time when, hey, there was a return to reality, which feels painful for some founders that have been you know, used to raising in a zero interest rate environment for a long time and venture was free and easy that I think we're going to see some real shakeouts here. Now, I'm going to try and make this shorter <laughs> so we can get to the next question. <laughs> the harder part where it hurts is you. I've worked with Silicon Valley Bank since my first startup in the late 90s. And they're a tremendous partner. Um, and their ability to you know, bring the ecosystem together to support entrepreneurs and VCs that are trying to do new things that traditional institutions would say it's out of the risk box or to even just bring people together um, you know, for powerful connectivity. That's, I don't know how we fill that up. 
again. I think you know the technological and the banking part will get filled. Them as an ecosystem builder, I don't know how we do that. Yeah, no, I think that's really the crucial piece. I mean, on the one hand, the the actual value behind the fintech startups that are affected, that hasn't gone away. The need for these technological tools still exists. The venture capital money that wants to support these tools, I mean, obviously, you know, that had been shifting over the last 12 months, but that money is still there. The, the kind of big yeah. market factors in the fintech ecosystem still exist. It's this idea of, you know, who's going to step in and fill this role of processing this, so kind of taking care of a lot of the day-to-day, the transaction level of, of the kind of big picture uh, fintech ecosystem that you highlighted. And I think there is obviously a really big need for this type of financial institution in this space. And the question now becomes, well, what happens when they're gone? Is this something that other banks, other financial institutions are able to come in and try and fill that need? Or is there a new a change of system that we need to look at so doing something kind of completely different here? And I think this is one where maybe time will tell, but but curious to hear your initial thoughts. Well, it, you know, that's the the hard part is, you know, we have the Marketives of the world and the Galileos, you know, in, in the players you know, that do a great job of connectivity, but there are a few that have been as tech forward as an SVB, you know, maybe, you know, Cross River and MVB Bank, you know, that have built API layers that startups can integrate to that are a critical part of the ecosystem, but we need a lot more. And you know, I'm you know, big fans of players like Treasury Prime and Lithic, Unit, Sinterra, but banks needed their own native API stack in a way that you know you don't see most of um, them actually building out. And you know it's interesting. You know, SVB got that through their acquisition of Standard Treasury, and so maybe more banks need to look at you know where that sits. So you bring the technology and the charter together. Yeah, yeah, no, I think uh, this is something where we realize there's just a lot of eggs in one basket here, and, and that's something which we can't let happen again. Um, at, at the same time, I want to come back to one of the ideas you kind of mentioned earlier that you know, I think we've already seen people taking this situation and trying to advance their own personal agendas. Maybe it had nothing to do with the actual details of what happened. You know, you hear people saying, oh, it's because they put too much of an emphasis on green solutions. They put too much of an emphasis on new technology. Right? You see people trying to use this to turn it into something which isn't really what it's about. Um, and, and I think you have to look at the, these with a grain of salt, but are there any that you've heard that you particularly just want to push back on and say, obviously, you know, this is not something that was the case. If you hear somebody saying this, it's probably not true. Well, so man, there, there's a laundry list and I'd say, Hey, go check out Ron Shevlin's snark tank <laughs> where, you know, he did a pretty good job of calling out some of the actors before <laughs> Forbes re- re- kind of reined him in and said, hey, we're not supposed to say you know, things <laughs> like that about people. But you know, I'd say, you know, one is the ESG. Let's pick the like the environmental piece of this. Like, is that the cause? It's like, no, it's not the cause. They frankly, if you dig in the numbers, they put far less against it than they probably should have. And they put more emphasis, you know, on you know making money and connecting founders. They did a good job of like getting the message out that they cared about it, but there weren't a lot of dollars flowing to it. Then you get into the diversity issue. It's like, okay, it was a mostly white board and you can point to, it's like, oh, but they had a lot of women on the investment committee. It's like, okay, but the board still has to approve that. And it raises, you know, to me, the biggest question, well, let me get into one other aspect. It's like, oh, they should have been, you know, hedged against this. It's like, okay, true, but not as easy 
to execute as you might think, because you actually can't uh, fully hedge held to maturity securities, right? So to me, that then raises the question. It's like, okay, they needed to make up for it somewhere else on the balance sheet, which is a level of complexity that I think, you know, it kind of points to laziness more than anything else. And you know, we already hit the fact, is it because, you know, startups are risky? No, startups aren't risky. It's just that they had large sums of money sitting in there. But guess what? There's our other, you know, financial institutions that have depositors with large sums of money well above FDIC limits. Um, I think more than anything, you know, if there's a narrative that isn't getting played out as much as I think it should is, yes, it was incompetence uh, from a risk management and ALM perspective, but where I see the gross incompetence is the execution of it. Like you don't drop the, the bomb. I think I read it on a Sunday night or a Monday night, the investor deck, right, where it showed that they were taking this right off or right down rather. And I was like, who does this at night? You know, when you can't, you know, it's kind of like drop a bomb, got to go to bed. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and they weren't prepared for it. And especially when you do things like loosey goosey, like, oh, and we're going to go raise more equity, not, hey, we're in discussions. Or frankly, if it was me, you raise the equity. You then pull in, and this is, I think, the most important part is they really fumbled on comms, right? They should have had all the top VCs that they partner with in a room the hour before the announcement under NDA, you know, drop your devices here. You're coming over the wall. Let us present our financials. We are stable, but we're about to go announce this, right? They did none of those things. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a really crucial piece that I've seen highlighted in a couple other places. The optics of this are, are maybe almost worse than the underlying issue. And you think if you had been able to go and talk to some of these key stakeholders and say, just you know, to your point, let you know this is coming, um, don't freak out about it. And I think if you look at it, you know, there are a couple of really influential venture capitalists who created a lot of this by you know, encouraging their companies that they'd invested in, hey, pull your money out, right? And, and a lot of that was based on, you know, some maybe uh, not fully formed facts or kind of emerging facts. And there's, there is this idea that if SVB had kind of gotten out in front of that and been able to reassure some of those people and say, hey, look, this is happening, but don't let that distract you know, from our relationship and what we're doing, they, they might have been able to actually skate through this um, instead, how much of a rant do you the... want right now? Right, like it isn't even <laughs> the it. big names who I think are totally culpable in this. That you know, a certain other podcast that you know was tweeting in all caps and like screaming about this, that, and the other thing, causing a virtual run on the bank. But it was worse within you know the venture circles and you know, disclosure. You know, we do have a fund as part of Alloy, uh, the Alchemist Fund. You know, so we're in these slacks and some of the private Twitter groups where. You you saw some VCs, not like the top, top tier, but trying to say, hey, I'm going to make a name for myself by like being the, you know, the Sequoia letter of, you know, in the market downturn that you need 18 months of runway, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do my version of that memo because I've got such bravado about being, you know, a VC. And it became, it's like SVB, which had been so loyal to so many funds and so many startups for so long. And suddenly you see how quickly th that environment would turn on them, seemingly just for, you know, the clicks and the views and the likes, you know, to kind of be able to check their own egos. Yeah. 
No, I absolutely agreed. And I think that this is an area where, again, it comes back to that personal side, that human side. And, you know, I think you look at, and again, mistakes were clearly made, right? The the risk was not properly managed. I think it's it's very safe to say that there were some areas where they could have done some things better. But at the end of the day, I think the ecosystem as a whole plays a part in this. And, and it does kind of raise this question of, you know, was the was the bank actually too tech forward from the standpoint of it was too easy for everybody to get their money out? The fact that I could read a tweet and then instantly kind of get on my mobile and pull massive amounts of money to other accounts. Was it was it almost they almost kind of contributed to their own demise to some extent by making it easy for people to you know get the, the great customer experience that we always talk about? Well, I, as much as I love SVB, I will not be standing here saying getting your money out is easy as an SVB okay. <laughs> customer, um, right? It, like it is still an old fashioned wire room. And it does raise the question, had this conversation with Peter Davey from the Clearinghouse uh, this week at FinTech Meetup, which was, what would this have looked like in a world where more banks had RTP send and Fed now, right? In terms of, yeah, there are some limits, but even if you look at the, you know, Hey, death by a thousand cuts. So, like with RTP having a one, you know, I know some banks are looking at it as like a five million dollar limit. But imagine not having to go through the wire room, which I think crashed sometime in the mid afternoon on Friday. But imagine if you could send it without actually having a human looking at it. Yeah. And right, one to five million at a time. Right. Like that becomes a real problem that I think a lot of banks are just now starting to rethink. What? How do I actually manage this risk? Yeah, no. Th- this is kind of taking the conversation in a, a really interesting direction, which is sort of what what next? You know, what do we actually do from here? Because I think as as much as it's tempting to spend a lot of time talking about what happened at SVB, and obviously, you know, we should spend time and really figure out exactly what went wrong and how we can potentially avoid something like that in the future. The fact remains for a lot of the the startups, the venture capital community, there's this big question of how do I keep going now? What do I actually need to do? in order to kind of get back to the the business that I was really focused on, which was of course, building something that hopefully was gonna be cool. That was gonna create a, you know, a new idea in the tech space. So so what, what steps are you seeing some of the companies in your network taking right now that you think are are either you know, good or potentially problematic? Well, so one, I should have thrown this into the narratives that I wanted to uh, make punching bags. One is that you know, startups got what they deserve. They should have done you know better treasury management and you know spread their money around. It is not that easy, right? In sure, in yeah. particular, the bigger your deposit base, the the better the service you're going to get, right? So there's a reason for it. In addition to if you have a loan from SVB, you know it is often required um, that you deposit it with them because. It, it doesn't matter what the covenants are. If you don't possess the money, e.g., it's in an account that you have access to, legally you have you know no claim to it except by going to court, right? You can't just sweep it, and so that's the reason that covenant yeah. exists. But any of these supposed you know, experts that are saying, oh, you know, bank, you know, all these um, startups should have sprinkled that two hundred and forty million dollars around all sorts of different accounts and sweeps and stuff, or they should have been with a bank that had Intrify. No one had actually experienced this before, right? So in yeah. hindsight, yeah, you you need to think about parts of this. But I think in the future, where you know we need to pay attention from the startup ecosystem, 
is how do I create coverage? And you do need redundancy. Redundancy technologically, if you're using a bank to process payments, you need redundancy for your balance sheet. You need redundancy if you're using a bank's charter. Like all of this is for good measure. And hey, welcome back to reality. It's not growth at all costs. Redundancy, if you're providing financial services, it turns out is really important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, obviously it is something that hadn't happened before. Um, And I think it's also fair to say that for a lot of, you know, startup founders, this is not necessarily their core competency, right? They're not necessarily treasury managers or people who look at it. They have an idea, right? You have something that I want to build and then you go about how can I take this vision and make it possible? And I think we will see a greater emphasis placed on the business side of this and making sure that the company is healthy. I wonder if venture capitalists themselves will start to insist on this type of, you know, safety net, this type of redundancy, and as a way of saying, you know, if we're going to do business with you, you have to have some of these systems in place. I think venture capitalists are maybe some of the folks who could actually enforce something like that as a condition of getting funded. But um, at the end of the day, I think this is just a real warning sign for everybody in the ecosystem that, you know, if you have a great idea, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're terrific at running a business and that you need to get the help uh, from people who do have that expertise, who can say, wait a yeah. minute, this is a little bit differently. You, you should do things a little bit differently here. Yeah. But again, to your point, this is not the core competency either of the startup or the reason you do this. Like, So our CFO is fond of saying this about the small business market, but I think it's applicable here which is no one starts a small business because they really want to be a finance professional. No one goes and founds a startup, even a fintech startup, because they're like, do you want to be awesome? I want to really get into the weeds of treasury management, you know, for my own accord. Maybe if you want to like create a product for others to do treasury management, but you didn't do it for your own accord. Right, right. And so I guess the next question is, we have this meta layer of fintech that comes in now, fintech for fintechs who are trying to manage there. And maybe there is, maybe there's tech solution, maybe there's an opportunity here. And I think this is where I look at this and I I, obviously it's a painful situation, but I I am firmly a, a believer of the idea that when you have this kind of situation, it does open the door for new ideas, new innovations. And I sincerely hope that we see some cool companies coming out of this, some people who are looking at ways that they can create ways to plug this kind of hole. Um, And hopefully, you know, I I also believe in the resiliency of the fintech industry. I think that there will still be good ideas coming out of it. Those ideas will still find a way to get funding. And as painful as this is, I really don't think it's going to long-term derail the career, although there are certainly some painful lessons to to try and absorb in the meantime. Well, and I I think those lessons, while painful, are actually useful. And as much as people complain about how hard the funding environment has gotten, it's like, okay, but there were too many mediocre ideas and me too ideas that yeah. raise ungodly sums of money. And you know, this is a, a line from Shamir Karkle two years ago when he and I were at FinTech DevCon together. He's like, it, it breeds a laziness, right? Yeah. Of innovation. If you can raise too much money or things are too easy, it takes hard times yeah. to go solve hard problems. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that seems like a really great place to leave it. I really appreciate you taking your time to share some of your thoughts on the And obviously, we'll continue to watch this scenario as it unfolds. Um, it's entirely possible we'll have something else to talk about later on as we get more information. But in the meantime, thanks so much for stepping in and joining me today. Great to chat. 
The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.